during a time when it could cost your life to own a diary and write in it. A man is eager to go against the principles of the governing state against Big Brother by joining the Brotherhood. But is the Brotherhood real or a trap? The man, Winston Smith, the book, 1984. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! Hi readers, this is Alexis. And this is Kari. You're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. So, Kari, how's it going? Great. Fantastic. Anything new for the week? Um, I can't really think of anything, but life is great. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing okay. Uh, oh, you know what? I can tell you a story about my, um, my, you know, I was involved in some busy work at work. So one of the things that we did, was we had an event where we had a cheesemonger come on and okay. tell us about cheese. And I just had the best time. That's actually pretty cool. That's what happens when you got them rich, cushy jobs. They have <laughs> cheesemongers come in to tell y'all about cheese. Yeah, we had like three um, different kinds of cheese. Well, I didn't have them, but we had three different kinds of cheese. And she talked about each one of those cheeses. And it was just really cool. So I'm going to have one. For my friends, I hope you can join us. I really yeah, can. me too. I really, I love cheese. So that would be great. It's a weird thing to say, but you know, I'm, I'm a proud supporter of cheese. You know what? Now that I think about it, in case you don't come, mm-hmm. I, they sent me the cheese. Oh, great. So I can still have some. Yeah, because I, even if you can't make that um, date that I have scheduled, I have the cheese and you can have it. Thank you. Because I'm like, I'm about I'm gonna to try say to make it's it. a lot of cheese. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try to make it, though. I'd like to kick it. Okay. But um, yeah. even virtually. Yeah, it'll um, be fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, that sounds really cool. I love yeah. cheese. Is okay. wine involved also? Oh, yeah. So what I'm going to do is have her make recommendations for the um, wine for the cheese that she selects. And then, so you know, this of is an event that items. your job hosted and then you got in touch with the um, person who arranged it and they're going to do it privately for you. Yes. Wow. Wealthy goals. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's going to be great fun. OK, now it's time for Society Says, where we share your comments with the rest of our lit society. Kari, is there a comment you thought particularly lit that you'd like to share? Yeah, I'm going to go back to Instagram. I hope you weren't going to pull this one. Um, But this comes from Anna Austin. And I asked her, remember, we did that survey asking, you know, what do you how'd you hear about our show? What would you change if you had to change something? Mm -hmm. And she says, "Um, I started listening during quarantine, like a lot of people, and found myself looking for a book club style podcast to help cope with isolation. I came across your show on Spotify after reading such a fun age. I oh. hope you guys heard that bonus episode last Tuesday is a lot of fun. She didn't say that. That's me. But oh, going okay. back to her, she all says, right. she continues, I just love all of your banter and digressions. Ooh, that's low key shade. And wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> I know that's okay, not super well, helpful, but I just love your format. So thank you, Anna. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that comment. We yeah. did catch that shade, but that's okay. We yeah, we did. Little get off shade t- too. Right. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, you know, we just be talking. That's what a book club is about. It's like a little therapy. What about you, Alexis? Is there a comment you found that was particularly lit? You like to share? Yeah, 
I jumped into Instagram. Haley Holyfield. I wonder if she related to the boxer. <gasps> she is for sure. She gotta be. Ain't nobody else named Holyfield. Yeah, yeah. Can you <laughs> tell him to post us on his page? Yes, right. Wait, I don't know what he's doing now, but you know, he might have a following. Okay. Share that, okay? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Haley. We appreciate you sending this message. And here it is. She said, <laughs> she started listening and she can't stop. You you hear me? She can't stop. And I love that about <laughs> it. She said she well, she started sooner. She's listening out of order um, to episodes about books she's read already. She came across Lit Society through The Skim a while back. Oh, and the skim is that newsletter. It's a daily newsletter that gives you just the most important news in one email. And they featured us last year, which was really cool. Yeah, that was cool. Um, She didn't think there's anything we should change, but she feels like she gets so much more out of the podcast than she does book clubs because we don't put the same genre over and over. And we're not afraid to criticize. Yep, Kari do be criticizing a lot. Um, or say you dislike a book. We're not afraid to say that. I feel like online book clubs and even ones with friends just constantly pick what's brand new and hot off the press, popular constantly. I appreciate and love what you are, what you all do. Please keep it coming. Thank you so much. Thank you, Haley. And remember readers to have your comments shared, message us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, well, sometimes, but I mean, it's there. Or <laughs> they we, know we don't be on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> or we especially love it when you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, so now let's jump into the theme of the week. Each week, I'm so excited. Sorry. We select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And this week's theme is how to protect your privacy online. Oh, I love this. When I was reading the book, I was wondering, what is she going to do with this theme? Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I I searched Big Brother and I didn't know this was the origin of the term Big Brother. This book, I didn't I know I was that. wondering that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I didn't know the term that. Big Brother... Mm-hmm. Um, comes from 1984. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anytime you search Big Brother, this or the show comes up. <laughs> so I thought okay. that was interesting. Anyway, so what is privacy? What do you think privacy is, Kari? It's a right to um, live as secretly or as publicly as you choose and to guard essential information about yourself. Um, it's that right to do that. Is it a right, though? That's what I would say. Who, who, where we get this right from? I feel like it's a human right. Mm, okay. <laughs> well, I like that you said that because um, I came across, I, this might have been Wikipedia, and actually it was Wikipedia, it said that neither the Constitution or nor the Bill of Rights has explicit language that includes a right to privacy. Did you know that? I mean, I can imagine that because back in that time, like if Thomas Jefferson was like, you know, all men are created equal and are deserving of privacy. People will be like, what you mean? Like, we can't run up in people's houses and look at them through the window. <laughs> he wasn't thinking like the tech world we live in now. So Yeah, the tech yeah, world is completely that. different. But what they do is they use um, penumbra, which is a group of rights, which um, through those rights, they imply from other rights that are explicitly listed that right to privacy. So that's what they use and that's what they take to court. Who's they? Oh, um, litigation. Yeah, yeah okay. that's what they use and take to court. You know, there's been a lots of litigation. Do you remember, I want to say it was at the, maybe a couple years ago, 
Apple wouldn't release some information about a man's son. Something. I couldn't died. remember what it was. So what I remember is a man's son died and he wanted to unlock the boy's the boy's phone. Um, and Apple wouldn't give him the password. And they never did, by the way. Um, okay. And that was a very like polarizing choice because people are like, his son is dead and he wants all of those old photos. Um, you know, all of that information. There was no... Uh, secrecy around how he died so it wasn't to solve the case it was just to have a piece of him and Apple was like no that's that that person's privacy and we can't violate that now if it's to solve a case then I think they can be subpoenaed to provide that information okay so I'm thinking about another one that's interesting so at death do you lose privacy apparently apparently not apparently not not. so I was thinking about one that was criminal and I wish I could. I couldn't find it because I couldn't think of more details about the case. And um, what I believe is Apple refused to release that information as well. And to law enforcement. Yes. To law Mm. enforcement. They's like, you still can't have it. So anyway, the eyes of Big Brother are upon us. I mean, we are tracked through our phone. There's that tracking like Google Maps know everywhere I go. I promise you. And I love getting that monthly report. It say I'd be at home. And I love it. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I don't be nowhere but at home. So I love that. (laughs) Yeah, so Google is always, but those you can turn those features off, right? You can turn those features off Mm -mm. a little bit. Sometimes you can. Or you have to acknowledge that you know they're doing them, right? Uh, So... Uh, Being in marketing, I will say uh, one thing is everyone has Facebook on their phone, whether you downloaded it or not, whether you're using their app or not, it's collecting information about you, the um, apps that you use, the websites you visit. Um, The iOS platform, Apple, just released um, an update, I would say uh, this year, maybe Mm -hmm. last month, where you do have to opt in. But Facebook is five steps ahead of that and is already um, grabbing your information from like the server level. So instead of going to the parent, they're going to the grandparent to get um, a broader range of information on you. They then filter that information into demographic reports and they feed that to marketers like me and um, really bad people probably who want to radicalize you. So you vote for their candidate. Yeah. Um, So that is happening whether you choose it or not I would just always assume if you have a cell phone that you're being monitored mm-hmm. and that's life <laughs> yeah for sure so we're always being watched in some sort in some way I remember being in um, England um, and I think they had CCTVs everywhere yeah um, China has them everywhere they they're really zooming using that to kind of check the status of sick people and whether or not they have masks on. If you come out with a mask, they could tell Shut you, up. see and tell you, you you know, you need to go get a mask. That kind of stuff. It's really crazy. Very interesting and, stuff out and there. And when you say CCTV, I'm thinking closed circuit television. And that makes me think that Big Brother can't tap in and pull that information if they want. But they can. They can. Mm-hmm. They can. <laughs> so it's not, because they call it CCTV, but it's like... Just 24-7 monitoring of the public. Exactly. CCTV is surveillance. Yeah, it's surveillance. That's what it is. Yeah. That's what it is. So you, Mm. technology is tracking, your technology is tracking you. I'm sorry, period. That's what's happening. Your technology (laughs) is tracking you. Not through the microwave. Like some people think it's a lot easier just through your cell phone. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it is a lot easier. And so how can you take better steps, um, steps to make yourself safe online? Okay. Um, to protect your accounts, practice good security hygiene. You know, and I want to commend my employer because recently they've gotten really well at um, telling us how to do better at protecting our security um, and our um, information. We had taken like a, I feel like it was an hour or maybe an hour and a half training that we have to do every year on our data security. So mm. anyway, and some of these points that are in this article were included in the training that we had. So okay. one, to protect your accounts, um, use strong passwords or passphrases. Avoid using the same password on all accounts. You should always shift it. One of the key things that I remember from the class that I took is to mix up your password. So um, if your password is, you know, sometimes you can create a password and put the number at the beginning or the end. Mm -hmm. They said insert that or any symbols in the middle of that instead of at the end because a hacker can figure out your password mm -hmm. and it'll be very easy to figure out that the numbers are on the end. So mix mm -hmm. it up a little bit. Yeah, if your password is password exclamation mark, but sometimes it's exclamation mark password, that ain't tricking nobody. Nobody is being tricked. And but for real, Alexis, can't nobody remember more than two passwords in their life. <laughs> I myself so what's keep your a next password. Tip? <laughs> I myself keep a password book, so. Yeah. Um, they suggest using a password manager. Use two-factor authentication. Authentication for your important accounts, but not the kind where they send you a text because text messages to your phone can be intercepted. What? Yes. What are you talking about? Text messages can be intercepted and you never know by <sighs> who. Um, download the latest security update. So that's how you practice good high security hygiene. Number two, beware of phishing. These messages appear legit. But they have little errors, spelling errors, grammatical errors. Why do they errors. have spelling errors, by the way? Uh, if your job is to fish, P-H-I-S-H, yeah. why not use spell check also? <laughs> they do always have errors. It's a, give it's a dead giveaway, too. It's It'd a be Microsoft giveaway. spell with a K. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are y'all doing? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the, the link to the website is not where it should be. Or the email comes from a weird domain. So make sure you're, um, this phishing can be done by text, email, or the phone. So be careful with that. Tip three, protect what matters most. Make a security plan. And to do this, start with a guide. Um, Electronic Frontier Foundation created a guide and it asked the big questions. So you can ask them of yourself. What do you want to protect? Who do I want to protect it from and how bad are the consequences if I don't? Those are just a few of the questions. Delete number four, delete some apps from your phone. Use the browser instead. I thought this was really interesting. They said. Really? Because they're monitoring you. Marie Kondo, your apps. OK, y'all know Marie Kondo. Mm -hmm. She that. loves mess. She hates it. She, she does love mess. it. She loves it. You're right. Apps can learn a lot about you from the data on your phone. Harmless apps uh, like maybe a flashlight app that also is collecting your data. Okay. Um, privacy wise, um, browsers are better. They simply are. So if you don't need that one, an app for that, don't have it for that. 
All right. Here's a favorite. Number five, using an encrypted app for messaging such as WhatsApp or Signal. They use end-to-end encryption. What does that mean? Only you and the person who sent it can read it. No one in the middle. So I remember I talked about interception before. That's not happening with end-to-end encryption. iMessage is encrypted when you message another iOS user. But if you message me, Kyrie, beware. <laughs> These Android users messing y'all up. <laughs> Everybody reading y'all messages. They can no see that GIF you sent of Idris Elba <laughs> yesterday. Mm-hmm. They see it. Mm-hmm. Um, iCloud and Google Drive are no longer encrypted. Did you know that? No. And why not? I don't know the answer, but they're not. And they haven't been. They advise against using Facebook Messenger. Man, I I remember Facebook used to prompt me to download that. And I refuse to. Hi, Mom. I just want you to know all those messages you're sending me on Facebook Messenger. I'll never see them in my life ever. Ever, please stop. And please stop referring to them in conversation because I haven't seen them because I don't have Facebook Messenger because I don't know Facebook. Thank you. Stop. You know that message I sent you the other day. Right. Stop being upset when I don't respond. I don't have Facebook Messenger. No, I still get messages on Facebook. You always will for the rest of your life. It's Mm -hmm. like... I literally am not using this tool. You don't see me having any conversations, posting Mm -hmm. nothing. One day I'll just delete it. It, But I'm nosy, so I might need it at one point. (laughs) Yeah, to spy on somebody else. That's right. Exactly. You never know. Just like Facebook doing. Mm -hmm. Circle of spiatry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They said it has a lot of information. Um, Just using the app. So if you can avoid using it, you're keeping your message from pry- prying eyes. Um, turn off cloud backups and delete existing WhatsApp backups from iCloud or Google Drive. Number six, turn off ad personalization. It gives companies um, more information about you under the guise of needing it to customize your advertisement. It's the dumbest question ever. Can we spy on you so we only serve you as you're interested in? Mm-hmm. What? Mm-hmm. No, serve me as I'm not interested in. So I keep my money. <laughs> it's very <laughs> invasive. It's very invasive. And then just yeah. recently, didn't um, Facebook and Google have it out about that? Or was it Apple and Google? I think mm, it was something know, in skim about that. Number seven, nationally. And this is not a tip, but knowledge. The U.S. doesn't have a universal data privacy law safeguarding everyday online privacy. There's nothing out there. These things are going to eventually come up through the court, but there is nothing out there for that. And as you start to build your privacy or protect your data and your equipment, start small, take it one step at a time. You will accomplish it. Know what you want to protect and why you want to protect it. That'll help you in the long run. And that's it. Kari, do you have anything you want to share about online privacy? No, those are great tips. um, And I'll definitely be implementing some of those and be more careful, um, specifically with the apps I download, because I like download anything. I'm looking at my apps now. I have like brain exercises, whatever that is. Uh, Learn languages I never really even trying to learn. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I'm going to be 
a lot more careful and, you know, because I know this uh, Learn Japanese app ain't nothing but Cambridge Analytica. (laughs) And I'll I'll need the problems. Yep, that's a big deal as well. Um, I, like, hate downloading apps. It's like, why do I have to download another app? I hate, I just hate downloading them. I try to get rid of them every chance I get. Because I can always go back in the store and get it if I want to. But now knowing that it's better to just use a browser, I'm definitely going to do that and kind of eliminate some of that storage. On my- Bye-bye, Goodreads. <laughs> I ain't never needed you. <laughs> in real life, they, And that's Amazon. It's you know Jeff in your phone. Ooh. <laughs> hey, just kidding. If y'all want to sponsor us, Goodreads is great. <laughs> y'all delete that app. <laughs> That was just a joke. That was just a joke. But for real, y'all, I don't think y'all should have it on your phone. (laughs) Anyway, let's take a quick break before we jump into the author and context. All right. Sounds good. All right, Kari, can you give us some context and background on our author? Yes, I sure can. Um, So our author is George Orwell. And for more information about him, perhaps see our Animal Farm episode from season one. However, I do have a few notes. Um, Orwell began writing 1984 and 1949, about eight months after he read um, a Russian novel. I guess I'm really into Russian novels. Apparently. They're like great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Russian writers, mm, just eat that up. Oh, but anyway, it's called We. Have you heard of We? No. So, um, We is a dystopian novel um, by, uh, what's his name? Yevgeny Zamyatin, um, a Russian writer. And it was written in like 1920. And so obviously it was written before 1984, but even more than that, Orwell reviewed the book. And some people feel like, well, you just borrowed the whole plot from we, from that novel. However, it should be said that we is the father of all dystopian novels that we know of. Brave New World, 1984 and others. Um, This book was so in the psyche of pop culture at the time. Um, And it was like around the time when people are facing World War II and, um, you know, different Soviet uh, campaigns. And they were in the mindset to write about ble- the bleak future. And so we did that really well. Did it you, describes did you read a, we? No, no, oh, okay. but I want to now. Okay. Um, but it describes a world of harmony and conformity uh, within a united totalitarian state. Sound familiar? It is. So mm-hmm. Orwell is reported as saying that he was taking it as a model for his next novel when he was reviewing it. And I guess I just feel like we should say that. Like we existed and then 1984 existed. But 1984 is its own thing. Just like Brave New World is its own thing. So <laughs> just a side note. Uh, George Orwell also like wrote 1984 and was like, uh-uh, um, Brave New World, you just copying we. <laughs> so he was also in that conversation, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, but anyway, because I think... I love it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think Brave New World came out in like 31, which was even before 1984. And George was like, uh-uh, 
one. Y'all copying him. Uh, what chapter two say again? <laughs> he was writing it down. Um, during World War II, Orwell believed that the British democracy, as it existed at the time, this um, Anglo, what do you call it? Like Anglo-American uh, power would not survive. It wasn't going to happen. And a lot of people felt that because it seemed to be no reason Germany should lose. Mm, um, right. And so the question was, you know, in, in Orwell's mind, would the world as we know it end by a fascist coup d'etat from above or via socialist revolution from below? And later he admits, well, history didn't really go the way I thought it would, but the book still applies. I, I still believe in the principles I'm outlining here. Mm. And that's it. That's all the context that I have for that. Did you have anything new on, on Georgie? No, nothing new on old Georgie. Okay, yeah. nothing new. And for some reason, people keep confusing him with Orson Welles. <laughs> <laughs> it's I've the done Orwell. It. Alexis has done it. Yeah, it's the I Orwell. don't know why. It's the Orwell mm-hmm. thing. I don't think yeah. you're really confusing them. It's just the name. Okay. Um, well, thanks for sharing that. Let's have a, a brief synopsis without spoilers before we jump into our deep dive. Sure thing. A dystopian novel that becomes more evocative as its bleak fiction is mirrored by our reality. 1984 is a vision of a world controlled by a totalitarian regime where not even your thoughts are safe. Is your cell phone watching you or are you watching it? Are your neighbors spies for their political leader's advantage? Is Twitter owned by the government? The answer to all of these questions, of course, is yes. And this book explains how it all started. Alexis, what were your first thoughts of 1984? Okay, so you told me about this book after um, Animal Farm. Farm. So um, I didn't know anything about it still, but I was excited because I had just did Animal Farm. So I was like, let's read it tomorrow. But here (laughs) we are a year later. We're just now reading it. And that's okay (laughs) because, you know, I was excited because it was the author of Animal Farm. Yeah. Yeah. I love how I'm always introducing you to stuff I know nothing about. <laughs> 1984, Trevor Noah. I just be fronting. I don't know anything about this. Yeah. Animal That's Farm. Okay. I just read it with you. And That's that was okay. the first book by Orson Welles that I ever read. Just kidding, you guys. I caught it that time. Just keep telling me about these books because I am loving your recommendations. I oh, do. oh, oh, you stepping on the end of the show. You stepping on the end of the show. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't <laughs> love your recommendations, <laughs> but the ones in the past I love. Okay. Yes, indeed. Animal Farm, I loved it. <laughs> Any poop, who, who. Uh, so who do you think would enjoy this book? You know, if you are a person who likes dystopian novels, who who, if you're cool with that darkness um, because it doesn't make you feel so dark, if you like to read a book from the past and be like, man, that's happening today. All of those things. If you're into that, then you'd love this. I hope that made sense. Okay, I get it. I get it. Well, that was great. Are we ready to jump in the deep dive? I'm so ready. I'm excited. I said jump in the deep dive. Are we ready to deep dive into 1984 filled with spoilers? To dive deep into the good book? Yeah, Yeah, the good book. Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. So there will be spoilers if you haven't read the book. Part one, he who controls the present controls the past. Don't you love that? I do. That's when I like. I do. I do. You do, I right? do, I do. And who, he who c- controls the past, like, controls the future. Yes. What? Oh, my goodness. Let us explain. Okay. So, 
On a cold, sunny, but somehow still dark day in what he believes to be the year 1984, no one really knows what year it is, we meet Winston Smith. Winston's at home in present day London. He's 39 years old. Sometimes he dreams of this woman he thinks is his mother holding his sister or maybe like a bag of rags. He don't know what he's dreaming. And that's his life. The woman and child in his dreams are sacrificed for him in some way and deep grief covers him. Except grief no longer exists in modern day life. It's an emotion that belonged to a past time. So uh, it's weird for him to feel this grief and to remember this woman who might be his mother holding something that might have been his sister. Anyway, that's where we find him. Quickly, we learn that Winston is a member of the ruling party, a government that's built on the extremists, unlike um, on the ideas of it's kind of like it is a total. We keep saying totalitarian and it is. It is. But it, yeah, it is. I should just say that. Mm -hmm. But it's like all the extremities of communism and socialism and 24-7 um, surveillance by the government. That's the world he lives in. Everywhere around him, there are posters with the face of a man whose eyes seem to follow you. All the posters say the same thing. What do they say, Alexis? Big Brother is watching. He's watching you. In his home, something like a television. I'm going to call it a television. And when I was reading this book, I was like, how did he know that televisions would exist? <laughs> I was really into, the, you know, George Orwell's like vision. But televisions existed mm -hmm. when he wrote this. So I need to calm down. So anyway, Winston's house. So in Winston Smith's home, there's something like a television and it's always on. You cannot turn it off. Constantly, it's displaying propaganda by the government. And while you watch it, yes, it watches you. It's both recording your movement and noises while simultaneously blaring its message. Around the city, so Winston looks at the television, then he goes to the window and looks outside, and around the city sits four imposing white structures. These buildings are the headquarters of the government's main branches, or what they call ministries. These are the four ministries. Number one. The Ministry of Truth. This is where historical records are altered to match the party's agenda. And this is also, by the way, where Winston works. His job consists of literally rewriting history as it appears in print and media so as to fit the current ideals of the party. Literally. So if there's a book from the... Go ahead. No, I just said literally. If something's printed in the paper that says Alexis is a war hero... But then the party later decides that that war never existed, then Alexis would be written either out of history or as an enemy of the state. So that's his job. Mm -hmm. And given that most facts and statistics are arbitrary anyway, Winston saw his job as replacing one set of nonsense for another. In fact, he enjoys his job and he's good at it. Okay. Back to the ministries. So there are four ministries. The Ministry of Truth, that's where Winston works. Number two, the Ministry of Peace. And the sole job of this branch is to carry on war. <laughs> Number three, the Ministry of Plenty, where economic shortages are planned and executed so as to control the masses. <laughs> and then lastly, the Ministry of Love. Do you remember what they're responsible for, Alexa? Maintaining law and order. Law and order, girl. That's love. That's the ministry of love. Mm -hmm. Unlike the other three ministries, this building has no windows and access is like strictly guarded by firearms and barbed wire and like <laughs> rabid dogs. I don't know. <laughs> the government's motto is this. War is peace. War is freedom 
is slavery. Ignorance is strength. For the most part, society complies and even adopts this like pseudo theology handed down to them by their overlords. Chief among the party's allies are the people's children. And that's why you you can never say what you want in front of kids. <laughs> you cannot. Chil- that is rule number one. Don't children hear you. They listen to you. And now I know I don't want any child near me. Okay. No, and they are little spies. So in this world, um, children are like the biggest ally of the government. And they love turning in their parents over to like certain death. Certain These kids. death. These kids are called child heroes in the news and the favorite pastime of youth viewing hangings. So kids will sit at their parents door and like listen to see if they hear any inappropriate talk and the parents will catch them and be like, very good. Support the government, little Bobby. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Back to our protagonist, Winston Smith. He's got a secret, you guys. It's the most insane thing you could even think of. He's not with any of this. In fact, he illegally purchased oh a God. diary oh my and pen. <sighs> now, I read that and thought, yeah, a grown man shouldn't be having a diary. <laughs> oh, no, no. I see. I see. The government wouldn't allow it. And he purchased this, um, this contraband from a man named Mr. Charrington. Uh, Mr. Charrington is a prole. And I'm not going to use that word a lot because it really, I'll just tell you, they're the poorest people. They're at the bottom of society. So there are three like levels in their social hierarchy and proles are on the absolute bottom. And Mr. Sherrington, who's a prole, has this shop where you can buy things that the government won't give you or sell you. And that includes a diary. Away from the lens of his television, um, Winston sits and writes his thoughts down. This is especially stupid because the party employs thought police who can arrest and arrest and like disappear people based on their thoughts. Thought but, police, what you are thinking. And then they're like, but how do they know what you're thinking? For real, for real? Back in 2021, anyone can tell what you're thinking by looking at your apps and your phone history. Absolutely, absolutely. Your thoughts are not that shocking. Someone could guess it if they had access to your cell phone. Oh, my goodness. So they have thought police who'll be like, what you thinking? We going to disappear you. Um, But Winston, you know, undeterred, writes in his diary. Inside of his diary, Winston describes a day at the cinema um, that he just experienced. While sitting to watch a film, Winston and the other moviegoers were exposed to what's called two minutes of hate. Two minutes of hate is this. An enemy of the party speaks against the government on screen in a very like rhythmic way. The man on screen is supposed to be the first resistor. And before his execution, he escaped. Now his message is dispersed to the people while the resistor remains in hiding. The people in the cinema watching the resistor on screen are whipped into a frenzy of hate. They're screaming at the screen, throwing things, shaking violently from rage. They want this man off their screen. Get him off. We hate him. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, Winston is with the people. He is demonstrating these this feeling of rage just like everyone else and he feels like he can safely exercise his hatred for the government under the guise of his of pretending he hates this resistor on screen so he's screaming things at the screen that he wishes he could scream to the government Um, but also this rage he notices is 
like uncontrollable for the person feeling it, but controllable for whoever's inducing it in the person. Mm -hmm. So what I mean is this, and I thought this was so poignant. Once that rage is in you, whoever is controlling you can um, steer it to their advantage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Winston feels this rage for the party and he's acting like it's for the resistor. But also in that moment, he sees a beautiful woman behind him and he thinks, you know what? I could assault her and bash her head in. And also I could overthrow a government. It's It's all the same to him. He's just angry. Yes, it's too much. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. The rage is seductive and uncontrolled uncontrollable once it takes over someone anyway let's leave that scene Whew. after the two minutes of hate then party propaganda returns to the screen and everyone's cheering they seem relieved one woman even starts praying in gratitude thank you big brother thank you during this particular moment however two people make an unforgettable impression on winston the first that beautiful young girl who was sitting i think behind him uh, with dark hair That girl also works in the fiction department at the Ministry of Truth where he works. So he notices her and he's like, she's really fine and young. And something about the fact that I'll never have her makes me hate her. Mm. Oh, you don't have to like Winston. (laughs) Number two. (laughs) Also, an important party member named O'Brien, who Winston feels secretly is also an enemy of the party like himself. So Winston will see O'Brien and be like, somehow I feel like you're my comrade in a different way where you too aren't buying any of this. Almost in a trance from reminiscing about the cinema, Winston looks down at the pages of his diary and sees that he's written over and over again, down with big brother, down with big brother. He really dumb. Yeah. Part two. Forget the thought police. He has written it on paper. On paper. Part two. No words. Okay. So there's a coworker whose job it is to obliterate words at Winston's job, to shrink the language. I want to explain this um, because it's such an integral part of the story. And there's even an appendix at the back to explain this job further. Yes. Yes. Um, so the coworker is part of a department who takes who their job again is to shrink the language because once you control language, you can control thoughts. So an example is bad becomes ungood because good exists. The word bad doesn't need to exist. If you want to say something's great, you can just say good plus. If you want to say something's fantastic, you can just say good plus plus. Okay. This is the language that they're creating. I'm going to start using Um, that. Good plus plus. Good plus plus plus. Exactly. Good plus. Good plus plus. Exactly. And this coworker (laughs) reasons that soon the thought police won't need to exist because language will be so restrictive that deviating thought will be obliterated. If you can control the language, you can control the mind. Because of this man's loose tongue and active conviction, he's like really a part of the government. He loves his job. He really is in into this like reducing language thing mm-hmm. um and winston's looking at him like one day they're gonna kill you you a little too excited you'll be vaporized uh spoiler alert winston's right <laughs> you're supposed to just do what the government say don't be too excited about it so anyway things are getting worse while big brother keeps telling people that they're getting better that a Victorian London home that Winston lives in. George Orwell seeps in some details to let you know this house is run down. 
uh, the food isn't that plentiful. Right. People are actually hungry. Um, what else? There's just like the government is telling you things are great and things aren't great. And the people believe Big Brother despite living in the contradictory reality. Yeah, they like just the believe it. Woman downstairs was it the woman downstairs room? Their house wasn't wasn't that great. He had to go down there and fix the sink, but I- right, she got some bad kids. It's going to one day probably turn her in to her death. Um, but yeah, yeah, things are falling apart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. While everyone is eating up yet another life from Big Brother, Winston notices the woman from the cinema is sitting at a table near him, and she's just watching his face. Back at home, Winston is remembering a wife, a woman he's unsure is alive or dead. They were only together for 15 months and he hasn't seen her for 11 years. She was basically a parrot of the party. Everything the party told her, she just repeated, repeated it over and over again. She called intimacy with her husband her duty to the party and she would schedule it and remind him about it. And he like really felt repulsed by her, but you know, and then when they couldn't produce children, she left him. Cause that was the whole purpose of Mm -hmm. that situation was to produce children for the party. Mm -hmm. So if you can't do that, why am I here? What's the point? Speaking of unions, the party is against all unions. It can't control. And this includes passionate marriage Mm -hmm. now marriage by itself is fine go ahead get married but don't y'all be liking each other as long as the couple aren't attracted to each other and see the act of procreation as slightly disgusting as a nuisance um winston calls it like an enema if you see that (laughs) if you see procreation is like an enema then your marriage is all right oh my all marriages must be approved by committee and are always denied if the couple is attracted to each other but what's the purpose Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, please. What What's the situation with divorce? Are you going to touch on that? Oh, I don't know if you can get divorced. Yeah, can you? you can't get divorced because he can't divorce his wife. That Well, it, he don't even know where she is, if she alive or dead. And even if he wanted to, he said he, he couldn't get divorced from her. Yeah, this society does. It's too bureaucratic to allow um, divorce to function. Mm, and, and yeah. Yeah, good point. So the sole purpose of marriage is to produce offspring to serve the party. Artificial insemination is preferred even by some. And then their children are brought up in government institutions. So they really like sanitize that whole production. Uh, Winston writes in his diary how he was seduced by a woman of the night in the prole quarter one evening. And then when the light hit her face, he realized she was old. Old. By the way, y'all, she was 50. She was old and toothless. <laughs> the way age is described in this book yeah. will give you a complex. <laughs> you like, to my so, yeah. like that? <laughs> Do people feel she like was that about old. me? She was so old. And he followed her anyway. And he just thinks back like, wow, my life. Ooh. Winston thought soon the party will say two plus two equals five and everyone will believe it because and this was the hardest for him to me to admit the party may be right. How do we know? How does one know that gravity exists, that water is wet and stone is hard? If the physical world exists only in the perception of our mind and our mind can be controlled, what then? Mm. And I love this Mm, because mm, mm. if everything is relative, if right and wrong don't exist, if um, 
you know, everything like we talked about in salt, fat, acid, the way I taste food, that same food, the way I taste bread, you would taste the same piece of bread differently because that truly is relative. But when you take that out of our personal experience and you apply it to broader, um, you know, things that we take as as being fact, right and wrong. Does right and wrong exist or is it just your perception of right and wrong? If I can start controlling that, the way you see things like that, mm-hmm. then I can control anything about you. Or just any facts about life. Any. Facts yeah. About life. Who says two plus two is four? Who told you that? And why? Someone told it to you. You accepted it. And that's why you believe it. Well, so? if the party says two plus two is five, you must accept that. Exactly. Winston then realizes, oh, I'm getting chills. (laughs) Winston then realizes he knows for whom he's writing this diary. O'Brien. Why? Because there are natural truths which can't be denied. Winston knows this and must never forget it. Freedom is the freedom to say two plus two equals four. Yeah. I'm not following Winston's logic, but that's what he's thinking. (laughs) Winston takes a visit to the poor district, the prole. Um, by the way, a bomb goes off on his way to the pub and he just continues on his way. Did you notice that? Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. Is this where the um, the hand went fighting and he kicked yes. it? <laughs> Suddenly, the whole street was in commotion. There were yells of warning from all sides. People were shooting into the doorways like rabbits. A young woman leapt out of a doorway a little ahead of Winston, grabbed up a tiny child playing in a puddle, whipped her apron round it, and leapt back again all in one movement. At the same instant, a man in a concertina-like black suit who had emerged from a side alley ran toward Winston, pointing excitedly to the sky. Stama! He yelled. Look out, governor! Bang up hat! Lay down quick! Steamer was a nickname which, for some reason, the proles applied to rocket bombs. Winston promptly flung himself in his face. The proles were nearly always right when they gave you a warning of this kind. They seemed to possess some kind of instinct, which told them several seconds in advance when a rocket was coming, although the rocket supposedly traveled faster than sound. Winston clapped his forearms about his head. There was a roar that seemed to make the pavement heave. A shower of light objects patterned onto his back. When he stood up, he found that he was covered with fragments of glass from the nearest window. He walked on. The bomb had demolished a group of houses 200 meters up the street. A black plume of smoke hung in the sky, and below it a cloud of plaster dust in which a crowd was already forming round the ruins. There was a little pile of plaster lying on the pavement ahead of him, and in the middle of it, he could see a bright red streak. When he got up to it, he saw that it was a human hand severed at the wrist. Apart from the bloody stump, the hand was so completely whitened as to resemble a plaster cast. He kicked the thing into the gutter, and then, to avoid the crowd, turned down a side street to the right. Within three or four minutes, he was out of the area which the bomb had affected, and the sordid, swarming life of the streets was going on as though nothing had happened. He's walking to the pub in the poor district and a bomb goes off. Bombs go off all the time, by the way. And what happens, Alexis? I feel like it was a, the hand of somebody and he sees it and he There's kicks a it. Hand, a dismembered hand in the street. And he just he just kicks it out the way and keeps going. That's it. Into a sewer drain. There's nothing to it. <laughs> yeah, I- like it was a gum wrapper. <laughs> Who? So um, um, he finds in the pub an old man who knew life before the party ruling party took over. Mm-hmm. 
and a thought occurs to him. I'm going to ask this man about how life was before the party, because if he says before the party, you know, our lives were great, then the party's lying. And even though I already believe they're lying, if this man says it like as a firsthand account, it will strengthen my conviction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the man seems incoherent. The man's like, uh, yeah, I used to own a top hat and then my sister died and then I was blah, blah, blah. And Winston keeps trying to get him to focus, but it's of no use. And he just allows the man to like drink another beer or whatever. Like, here, drink this. You're not helpful. Yeah. And yeah. And Winston reasons in 20 years, no one would know if life was better before the party versus now. In fact, they seem to have already forgotten the way the world once existed. Mm -hmm. Winston leaves the pub and finds himself in the shop where he bought the diary. Mr. Um, Sharrington. Sharrington. Yeah. Mr. Sharrington's shop. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a hard name for me to say. Mr. Sharrington. <laughs> um, okay. So he buys from Mr. Sharrington a heavy piece of coral because it's evidence of the past and that he's romanticized by that idea. Um, he puts it in his pocket and then Mr. Sharrington um, shows Winston upstairs to a room above the shop, a secret room, which has no television. What? What? Could this be? So the poor, by the way, aren't really governed as closely by right. the government because they're seen as like, throwaway people so who really cares and Mr. Sherrington was like I never could own a television so I didn't buy one Mr. Sherrington talked to Winston about old buildings and church bells and children's songs from when he was young and Winston decides secretly in his heart to return to this room no matter how dangerous it was while he's walking out he sees her again the girl she's obviously spying on him yeah Four days later at work, he sees her again. Her arm is in a sling. And when she sees him, she falls on the quote unquote injured arm. He instinctively rushes to help her. And she goes, uh-huh, thank you. And puts a note in his, his hand like this. <laughs> her face unchanging. Because you can't really be changing your face because mm -mm. you are always monitor. And somebody going to be like, why are you smiling? Exactly. Or why are you frowning? So you just got to keep your face, you know, even. So he, she slips the note into his hand and his mind is racing. What is this note? Is the brotherhood of resistors trying to reach out to me? What is going on? He opens the note and inside are three words. I love you. What? <laughs> yeah. Listen, how is she in love with him? Don't look too much into it. <laughs> so she, I said, oh, finally, the romance Alexis has been wanting. <laughs> this ain't it. <laughs> So she arranges for them to meet in a public crowded place so as to avoid suspicion. And she tells him to meet her at a station. She outlines the route and gives him a time. Quickly, she is gone, but not before grabbing his hand. This is a huge deal because it reminds him of intimacy and of just human interaction. And when she touches his hand, it's like he can imagine every curve of her fingers and her palms and he's like I'm gonna follow that woman to the ends of the earth <laughs> also he's thinking she's not as cute as I thought <laughs> but uh, remember you ain't gotta like Winston mm -mm. so when they meet again he tells her he's got a um, I'm sorry a right. wife and he can't get rid of her also he has five false teeth <laughs> he just wants to put it all on the uh, table and varicose ulcer <laughs> and a varicose, and a varicose ulcer, ulcer okay 
It be itching them sometimes me. too. So <laughs> no, like since then he goes. Um, oh, by the way, I saw you once and thought I could assault you or bash your head in. I felt like I could do either of those things to you. All right, Who that's everything. That? I don't know. It's weird, yeah, it's but she doesn't care. He takes her in his arms and they kiss passionately. Mm. This is a secret place, this field. Um, this is a secret place that she happened upon one day. If anyone is approaching, you can hear them while they're still some distance away. Has she done this before? He asks. Yeah, hundreds of times, thousands. <laughs> well, not thousands, but scores of times with other party members, she tells him. And the thought excites Winston because he's like, wow, you really hate Big Brother. And I love that. <laughs> the more disgusting, the better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like, it's people like you that's going to tear the party to pieces. Yeah. Mm, some kind of woman. What a woman. Get him. Part three. <laughs> if you keep the small rules, you can break the big ones. That's what she said. Mm -hmm. So they start meeting up for rendezvous. Julia is her name. Julia and Winston sitting in the tree. One day a bomb goes off and Winston is sure Julia is dead, but he brings her face close and she's warm and he kisses her. They continue their affair and all the while she remains a devoted party member in public. Yeah. If you keep the small rules, you can break the big ones, she says. She's even a member, a member of the Celibacy League. And she's like the loudest one yeah. at those um, two minutes of hate or whatever. She's the biggest she's like, promoter at all the events related. Yeah, she's a huge hypocrite. <laughs> um, and she knows it and she loves it and mm -hmm. he loves it too. Mm -hmm. She had no desire to join an organized resistance. She doesn't even think that's possible. Like, how are we organizingly? How are we organizingly? How are we going to organize and resist? We can't even talk to each other in public. That makes no sense. Also, these bombs that keep going off because... It's supposed to be that their area is in a war with East Asia. But she's like, we're not even at war. I bet the um, government is throwing bombs on us <laughs> to keep us scared. <laughs> I, believe goal, I, I believe her on that. So she's like, my goal is to have as much like physical pleasure as possible in this miserable life. Um, and so she also had an understanding of like the party's tactics and thought she could maneuver around it to grab as much pleasure as she could for herself. Um, by removing passion from society, she says, the party can control people's energies in war and political fervor. So because you're not with a woman or a woman that you love and are passionate about, you can be more passionate about the government. Um, without passion in the marriage, the family was simply a baby making institution producing tiny soldiers and spies for the party. And that's the way they, the party wants it. So Winston decides to take her to that secret flat above the store of Mr. Sherrington in the Pearl Quarter. Um, he thought it was as if they were intentionally stepping into their graves, but they couldn't stop. He begins to feel an ownership of her. She's like all he thinks about and they're both fully consumed with mm -hmm. each other. Julia comes into um, their secret room with sugar, coffee, bread. These are luxuries only members of the upper class um, normally can obtain. She puts on makeup, yes. another thing she shouldn't have access to. And her beauty and femininity overwhelm Winston. He's like, what's that lipstick? Fenty? Okay. <laughs> Um, you, you, right. oh, okay. <laughs> so they're like, you know, really, it's like love, I guess, in love kind of with each other. Um, and then one day, um, while they're lounging around, Julia sees a rat 
And then the book is presented like they're in the middle of a conversation. She's like, get out of here, you ew, gross. Yeah. And Winston's like, what are you doing? And she's like, there was a rat. And Winston like freezes in a way that feels weird for the reader. Yeah. yeah. And Julia. <laughs> I was with him, so I understood. But yes. Did she? I was like, oh, Winston's Indiana Jones. He really hates rats, you guys. It's a phobia. It is. <laughs> so more than anything else, we find out Winston's afraid of rats. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, and I was like, okay, footnote, that could have been removed from the book. But remember it. <laughs> yeah, remember that. It's important. He, okay, so Winston tells her everything about what he's noticed um, throughout history and how it's being replaced with lies. For example, she, he's like, you know what? I don't think the party invented airplanes because when I was little, I remember somebody else invented airplanes. And Julia brushes it off. She's like, yeah, they're lying to us. And then don't she's like, it? Why does that matter? Who cares who invented airplanes? Um, In her mind, it makes no difference if they're at war with East Asia or any other region, because that keeps flipping, too. Mm. Like sometimes they'll say East Asia. And there was even like a parade in the street (laughs) where they were um, gathering fervor from the public over this war with some region. And midway through the celebration, they decided that, no, it's East Asia we're against. And so everyone switched immediately. He was like, I remember it was just four years ago. We was we was at war with them. But with no one else to confirm his thoughts, it's like, are these thoughts even true? Mm-hmm. Am I crazy? Because Julia says, no, we've always been at war with them. I don't know what you're talking about. This is who we've always been at war with. It's not a big deal. Yeah, he's like, but remember, and she's like, I don't care. I'm no, I'm not going to remember because I don't care. What does it matter? The party lies to mm-hmm. us. That's what's going on. Any, all the details are, you know, irrelevant mm-hmm. to me. And then he um, thinks up an analogy that I thought was really good. She's this type of aloof rebel that drinks in the poison handed to her without questioning it because she feels like the poison doesn't affect her. So she just continues to drink it without question, even though she doesn't realize there's like an abyss forming around her full of lies. Like we're constantly encircled by lies, but she doesn't care. She cares not. And in that way, the party is controlling her, too. Remember, O'Brien and Julia were these two people that um, Winston saw in the cinema. Um, Later, he went home and we didn't touch on this, but he dreamt of O'Brien being like um, like a comrade Hmm? Almost like his savior or something that he's saying. I want to say a big brother. It's like he dreamt of O'Brien being like this protective big mm-hmm. brother who would help him realize his rebellious dreams. Yeah. That's how he so saw him. Real- That's it. Yeah. That's how he saw him. So in real life, one day, O'Brien does walk up to Winston and tells him, um, come visit my home. So Winston and Julia go to visit. They're really nervous because O'Brien lives in the part of town reserved for the upper class. He's a controlling member of the party. Ooh, they enter the home and speak openly, too openly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they are amazed that O'Brien can turn off his television. So O'Brien helps them into or his quote unquote servant walks them into the home. They see O'Brien. O'Brien turns off the television and they're like, you can turn it off. He's like, yes, we've been given that. um, What did he say? Privilege or whatever. That right. Anyway, Winston then tells him everything, feeling safe because the television is off. Number one, Winston hates the party and knows that there's they they are nothing but liars. Number two. Oh, by by the way. (laughs) So. 
about Winston hating the party. He then explains to O'Brien that, um, for example, a man in the party praised as a loyalist was later called a traitor. But Winston remembered the photo of the man being awarded for like his bravery or devotion to the party. Mm -hmm. And this memory he couldn't shake and it added to his conviction that the party must be stopped. Julia, by the way, is ready to die for the rebellion, she tells uh, O'Brien or assures him. But the only thing neither Winston nor Julia can do is betray each other. That's where they draw the line. Julia and Winston are bound together and they will never be disloyal to their love. Mm. And O'Brien's like, thank you. I need to know where your limits are. O'Brien asks Winston where he lives. When Winston says above Mr. Sherrington in the pro quarter, O'Brien tells him that'll do for now, but we have to arrange another place for you. In fact, you will be constantly moving from this point forward. You can't become too sedentary because, you know, then the government will be on your tail. Mm. I've bought the I'll arrange to procure you a copy of the Revolution's Manifesto. This is huge. So that guy that's on the screen during the two minutes of hate, the original resistor, he wrote a manifesto. And this book is like a Bible for the rebel, the rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, that man's name, by the way, is Goldstein. Emmanuel um, Goldstein, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, O'Brien's like, I'll get a copy of that book for you. You're going to need it because you're one of us now. Part four. The best books are those that tell you what you know already. <laughs> In the room at Mr. Sherrington's, Winston reads through Goldstein's manifesto given to him by O'Brien. This book, you guys, is long and boring. Still, you can say that again. I was just thinking of it as you, you read the title. Shockingly. <laughs> it was shockingly. You ever read something and rolled your eyes while you was reading it? I was like, this book is still, he's still reading this? It's like a book in the book and it is not a worthy book. It's not, it's not, it's not. I will say it is a huge flaw in the novel. However, I have some cliff notes. (laughs) Oh, I'm like Julia. Uh, Winston was reading it to Julia and he was like, are you awake, Julia? She said, yes. Huh? Yep. I said, oh, me too, girl. This book boring. She did not care. So this is what the manifesto is about. In short, three things. Number one, it maps out the history and evolution of social classes. So it's basically stamped. But it talks about high, middle and low class, which now equate to the inner party, which O'Brien belongs to, the outer party, which I think Winston belongs to, and the proles, which Mr. Sharrington is part of. Number two. The war they've been fighting against East Asia and other regions serves only the purpose of war. Listen, war serves the purpose of keeping the masses distracted enough to follow the party blindly. Mm -hmm. This is the real meaning of the party's phrase. War is peace. Mm. Come on. That's good. That's when I was like, okay, you got a point there. Boring book inside the book. I like (laughs) I'm stepping on the final verdict. And lastly, number three, Goldstein, who wrote the manifesto, explains that control of history is a central part, like a tool of the party. He adds that double think allows inner party members um, to be the most zealous about pursuing the war mentally, even though they know the falsity of the histories they write. So double think is knowing the truth while believing the lie. That's double think. Mm. Believing the lie, the party uh, feeds you into the point where it's like a part of you 
and the thoughts you have about, well, is that true? You eventually just block those out. As Winston and Julia look out the window of their room at Mr. Sherrington's and down at a prole woman, Winston thinks about the proles more deeply. They are the class not governed closely by the party because they're seen as ignorant, futile members of society. And because of that, Winston thinks the proles may be the future. Both Winston and Julia say almost in unison, we are the dead, meaning them, them too. We are the dead. And out of the shadows, a third voice says, you are the dead. Oh, my goodness. Where did that voice come from? There was no TV. The wall. Suddenly, the two realize that there's a television behind a picture in the room. Stomping boots echo from outside. The house is surrounded. A familiar voice speaks a children's rhyme. Mm. Here comes a candle to light you to bed. Here comes a chopper to chop off your head. (laughs) The window shatters and party troops pour in. The troops kick Winston and beat Julia. And then who walks in? Mr. Sherrington. He enters the room and orders some of the troops to take action. Winston realizes that Mr. Sherrington's voice was the one coming from the television and that Mr. Sherrington is a member of the Thought Police. Mm, mm, mm. Part five, our final part. You must love Big Brother. Winston and Julia are separated and taken to the Ministry of Love, that windowless opposing structure in charge of law and order. In the building, there's a room number 101, but it's not yet time for Winston to go there. Instead, he's tortured for days, maybe years. He can't tell. Uh, There's no light, so he doesn't know when days end and when they start. And he keeps slipping in and out of consciousness. He is beaten, starved, and interrogated. Then, who walks in the room? O'Brien. Winston cries out. They've caught you too. To which O'Brien replies, they got me long ago. (laughs) (laughs) O'Brien then identifies himself as an operative of the Ministry of Love. Mm -hmm. O'Brien asserts that Winston has known O'Brien was an operative all along. Some part of you knew Winston and Winston admits some part of me must have known. Mm A guard smashes Winston's elbow and Winston thinks to himself that no one can become a hero in the face of physical pain because it is too much to endure. That's not true, but I understand the thought. O'Brien from this point forward is the overseer of Winston's torture. And yet Winston cannot hate O'Brien. In a weird Stockholm Mm -hmm. syndrome way, Mm -hmm. he sees O'Brien as his protector and the pain that O'Brien is inflicting on him comes from some outside source. O'Brien tells Winston that Winston's current outlook is insane, but that torture will kill, uh, cure him. O'Brien tells Winston that the party has perfected the system practiced by the Inquisition, the Nazis and the Soviets. It has learned to eliminate its enemies without making martyrs of them because it converts them. And then that ensures in the eyes of the people that they cease to exist. Slowly, Winston begins to accept O'Brien's version of events. He begins to understand how to practice doublethink, refusing to believe memories he knows are real. O'Brien tells him that Julia betrayed you right away. (laughs) 
<laughs> take nothing. So you can so let that go. She got in there. She betrayed you. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Uh, Winston asks if Big Brother exists in the same way that he himself does. You know, like I exist. Does Big Brother exist in that way? And O'Brien replies, Winston, you don't exist. (laughs) (laughs) Me. So the goal. No, you don't. So the goal is conversion. Winston must love Big Brother in his heart. But in his heart, Winston is holding on to the pride of not having betrayed Julia. So he can't let Big Brother in his heart that Julia possesses. Winston then asks O'Brien, what's in room 101? And O'Brien states that everyone knows what's in room 101. (laughs) Eventually, O'Brien has Winston taken to room 101. In room 101, O'Brien straps Winston to a chair, then clamps Winston's head so that he cannot move. He tells Winston that room 101 contains the worst thing in the world. He reminds Winston of his worst nightmare, the dream of being in a dark place with something terrible on the other side of the wall and informs him that terrible thing you were dreaming of. Yeah, they were rats because you have a phobia. O'Brien then picks up a cage full of enormous squirming rats and places it near Winston. He says that when he presses a lever, the door of the cage will slide up and the rats will leap onto Winston's face and eat it. They'll eat your face, Winston. They just eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The mask was closing on his face. The wire brushed his cheek. And then, no, it was not relief. Only hope. A tiny fragment of hope. Too late. Perhaps too late. But he had suddenly understood that in the whole world, there was just one person to whom he could transfer his punishment. One body that he could thrust between himself and the rats. And he was shouting frantically over and over. Do it to Julia. Do it to Julia. Not me. Julia, I don't care what you do to her. Tear her face off. Strip her to the bones. Not me. Julia, not me. He was falling backwards into enormous deaths, away from the rats. He was still strapped in the chair, but he had fallen through the floor, through the walls of the building, through the earth, through the oceans, through the atmosphere, into outer space, into the gulfs between the stars. Always, away, away away from the rats. He was light years distance, but O'Brien was still standing at his side. There was still the cold touch of wire against his cheek, but through the darkness that enveloped him, he heard another metallic click and knew that the cage door had clicked shut and not open. Winston is released and time passes. He accepts everything the party says and does without acknowledging it to himself. He can still smell the rats. (laughs) (laughs) On a table, Winston traces two plus two equals five. He also reminisces about the last time he saw Julia. It was a bitter cold day in March. She had thickened and stiffened. And he now found the thought of passion with her to be repulsive. They acknowledge that they both betrayed each other in the ministry of love and agreed to meet again. But secretly, neither of them wanted to ever see each other again. And they don't. Winston continues thinking and he begins to cry. He remembers a moment of happiness with his mother and sister, but thinks that must be a false memory. He looks up and sees a picture of Big Brother on the television. They've won. It's announced. The party has fought and won victory. 
People pour into the streets in celebration and Winston feels happiness flood his body. He is happy and he is safe and he listens. He listens to the party. He reassures himself of both the great victory he has won over himself and his newfound love for Big Brother. That end, let's take a break. Okay. <laughs> What is your final verdict of 1984 and would you recommend this book? Wow, this book is just wow. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to jump to the end. The end part, I'm telling you, that was too much for me. I, I mean, that was too much. That The mental torture to train him to get to the right mind so that he loves Big Brother, outrageous. Yeah. There are so many just little words in this book, little mm-hmm. phrases that they use. It's like, Dang. <laughs> like, that's happening right now. <laughs> and this war is peace thing and the ministry of love where nothing but torture and hatred goes on in that building. The yeah. rats, the rats, <laughs> the rats. I felt like I was in fear right along with Winston. <laughs> I was having that experience with them. So I did enjoy the book. That part with the... um reading of the theories of yeah. the government the manifesto yes that was like the <laughs> trash most boring part of it. i was like what what's happening here did i switch Who put this terrible book in the middle of a good book <laughs> i was so unsure whether or not i switched stories i was like did i <laughs> is this a short story book <laughs> what what happened right. what happened but mm-hmm. i was um once that ended it was back to real life and you know, that fake real life that had me mm-hmm. in. So I really enjoyed the book, minus that part. Um, yeah, I don't know. This is a wild book, and I would recommend it to people. If you if you like that dystopian stories type stuff, that, it, mm-hmm. it's great for that. What about you, Kari? What did, did you enjoy it? Would you read it again? Recommend Off it. the rip. Yes, I enjoyed it. I'd read it again. I'd recommend it. I'm going to read this book like in another week. Yeah. Because it's been a busy week for me. I had a lot on my mind and I want to just sit with it. Every sentence is so purposeful. Mm-hmm. I felt like, man, I could really learn how to write from reading this. <laughs> so kudos to George Orwell. And if, um, although you commiserate with the protagonist, you never like him. And that's fine. You don't feel like you have to like him. You don't like Julia either. <laughs> Um, and the manifesto is terrible. <laughs> it's boring. It's terrible. But all of that, a protagonist you don't like, a co-supporting character that you don't care for, the manifesto being long and boring, none of that made the book bad. You know? <laughs> we are saying mm-hmm. the manifesto is terrible. Yeah. These characters not likable. This is a great book. That tells you something. You know who I do about like? About the book. O'Brien. <laughs> I know, because it's just so matter of fact. When you said, Winston, you don't exist. Mm. I was like, yeah, Winston, you don't exist. Listen to Big Brother. Don't you get it? And and um, O'Brien's supposed to be so charismatic, and that's written so it well. Is. And it's why Winston can't blame him Mm-mm. for the harm that he's inflicting on him. And, and you know. Because he likes him yeah, too much. And he's, he's never said, no, yes, I agree with you. It was a whole setup. He was truly set up. Set up. Yeah. And lured into this house 
to yep. just expose yourself. We've been watching you mm-hmm. for seven years. Come into yep. this house, tell your beings, and then we can set up arrangements to come and get you and the girl later. This is great. I'm glad you came. <laughs> Where do you live again? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, yep. great, great. Mm-hmm. Just set up. Just So I do want to give some history, uh, historical context, mm-hmm. because you know it's George Orwell, so of course this is like satire. Really quick. So most of the Oceanic Society is based on the USSR under Stalin. Um, and Stalin represents, Stalin is represented by Big Brother. Um, the televised two minutes of hate is this like ritual uh, where the enemies of the state are put on the screen, especially Goldstein. Goldstein represents um, Leon Trotsky. Really? Yes. Trotsky was in the in Animal Farm too, wasn't he? Yeah. Stalin also. <gasps> yeah. Altered photographs and newspaper articles create unpersons, which are deleted uh, from the National Historical Record, including even founding members of the regime. A similar thing happened during the French Revolution's reign of terror, in which many of the original leaders of the revolution were later put to death. For example, Danton, who was put to death, um, and then later the man who put him to death was also put to death. (laughs) So it's like... um, you might think you're for the party and you're carrying out the justice of the party, but if the party decides that they're against you, then you're an enemy of the party, no matter what you feel. Um, and that's mirrored in the way that um, Winston can't forget about this soldier who was honored as a hero, but then the news said he was a traitor. Uh, so, yeah, that's and that. And then um, O'Brien showed him the picture of the, yeah. the three men. And he was like, mm-hmm. you, you have it. You it did exist i'm not crazy now brian goes no no you crazy i'm destroying this Mm -hmm. picture he's like we're just gonna so see it didn't happen it did not happen and that's that's i had written them down but i put them on a piece of paper and they're in the other room it's it's expressions like that it didn't happen uh i can't think of it it. reminded me of how um easily photos can be doctored now and even videos Mm -hmm. and it's a joke to have like a deep fake of tom cruise doing something crazy and it's not really Tom Cruise. But what that means is that we can't trust pictures and video anymore. And that's a really scary place to be in society. Video evidence is an oxymoron now. Video evidence is, does not exist. It's a very real thing, even though they just use that as a um, (laughs) basis to put somebody in jail. So that's all we got but i'm just saying but in real life that's the thing you know you can't trust it and if you can't trust pictures if you can't trust videos if you can't trust historical text does history exist right can it be altered did it really you exist? know they say the victory the victor writes history yeah and what is it it the past he who controls the present controls the past and then yeah you got he who controls the controls past the controls future. the future and they controlled that in this Girl. book this book too much and that's it so i read this book on i excuse me correction word correction i listened to this book okay okay on uh libby overdrive and um mm-hmm. i listened to it fast i want to go back and slow it down and listen to it cuz the reader is great and all the emotion is in the book. So I was scared right along. <laughs> Whatever <laughs> was happening, I was afraid. I, it was happening to it's me. It's weird because this is a dystopian novel but that I can't wait to get back to. I miss that world, that terrible world. It was so nice to know no matter what I go through, Winston's got it worse. <laughs> and for that reason, I just want to lock myself in a hotel room and read 1984 again. Oh my goodness. So what are we reading next week, Kari? 
Yeah. Um, number one ladies detective. I don't know why I'm laughing. We're reading number one ladies detective agency, an honorable follow up to 1984. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoria and Kari Carrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts, along with a comment about why you absolutely love us. We do indeed love you, too. If you've enjoyed what you've just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, read read something. something!